0: Hello chaps and chapettes, welcome back to the Guitar Geeks podcast. I am your host Josh Castle at the Corona Mortis, I hope everybody's well this Saturday morning, Sunday morning, whenever you may be listening to this podcast, thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the last episode that we did with uh, Fred Thirst from Stiff Biscuit, it was a really fun episode, really enjoyed shooting it and it was really good to have a good catch up with him. And this week we have someone that I've been really looking forward to getting on as I've been following him for a few years now and we finally got to meet up for the first time at the UK Guitar Show this year. So I have the wonderful Luke Grek with us all the way from Malta. How are you doing, Luke? Are you okay?
1: Fine, thanks. Yes, thank you for having me and lovely intro. Thanks for that.
0: Uh, you're very welcome, you're very welcome. Have you been having uh, a nice bit of time? Because you've literally kind of not long come back from Nam and yes. still suffering the jet lag.
1: Yeah. It's been a week and uh, last I've been to the US was five years ago. And I don't remember having this much of an effect, you know, lagging on to, uh, pardon the pun, lagging on till a week after. But yes, um, trying to get over the... Uh, Uh, getting back, actually, my sleeping pattern and readjusting my body clock. But other than that, back to the usual routine here at the studio and back to session work. And, uh, yeah, it's been good.
0: Yeah, because you've been a busy man at the moment. Like, you know, you've dropped a few singles, you've been to Nam, and then, you know, we've seen you on, like, Maltese TV (laughs) and everything, you you know, you're getting out there, man.
1: Yep, Rob is... uh, Rob is... Well, let's put it this way. Rob makes sure that he, every time he introduces me to someone, makes sure that he introduces me as the session guy for Malta. Well, uh, I'm not the only one for sure, but I, I, let's, let's just say it keeps me busy. So, uh, yeah, and um, NAM was fun as well. Um, uh, I planned purposely to release two instrumental singles during the time where I am at NAM the purpose of you know even when you're meeting new people and networking with people it's good for for uh, the the connections that you make for them to see something fresh and something new as soon as they visit your socials and it's also been something i've been wanting to do for quite a while now given that um, I haven't had any instrumental releases to my name or any other releases to my name for that matter. I'm a, I'm a producer here and I work mostly for other people. And as a session player, I play for um, solo artists and other bands. So my work has revolved uh, contributing musically to other people's projects. And obviously, um, the time left for me to work on my own stuff is very limited. So I was quite happy that I set a deadline to myself and made sure that they released Nam at Nam this year.
0: It's it's always hard hitting the deadline. Uh, you know, you've very obviously got having all the resources that you've got with you in your own studio is a big help, But it still um, it still doesn't always necessarily make it any easier, especially with.
1: It's actually like very being tempting, so as you said, having the resources here, not being able to use them for myself, because obviously I try to give as much priority as I can to clients and getting their work done. Um, but yes, it is it is tempting and uh, does make it easier. But I would obviously. He's talking to myself and saying i have the studio it'd be nice if i actually use some of the stuff i bought for myself like you know so that's
0: the thing we'll get onto kind of like some of the the studio and the the more got guitar geeky sort of stuff towards uh, like the middle of the podcast so i always like to kind of start these when you know Finding about the roots of people's, you know, like guitar journey, because you, you know, you're a multi, you, you know, we've seen you doing bits of bass, you know, obviously you've got the production side of things, you yep. play guitar, you know. Where did your journey start for you?
1: Okay, so, um, I started taking up piano lessons when I was seven years old, and um, I always like, you know, just stuck to piano till I was about 13, 14 years of age. So it's you know what most people tell me of the rebellious teenage years. You know you start exploring the cooler side of things. It's not that piano wasn't cool because I actually uh, think it was. It's a very big asset for uh, what I do nowadays, given the production side of things. But um, I picked up the guitar when I was 13, 14 years old. um, Used my knowledge, uh, music theory knowledge and piano knowledge, um, and applied them to the instrument. So I'm a self-taught guitarist. Um, and I actually, actually did go to lessons for uh, a summer or two, but mostly I'm self-taught from the resources I picked up. And during that time, YouTube was still starting out. So as soon as I, uh, you know, explored and, and discovered YouTube at 14, 15 years of age, uh, it was part of my learning process. And um, then I started my first bedroom studio at 19 years of age in 2009. Um, and uh, then, you know, joining bands, playing in friends' bands, sessioning for people, getting singers, asking if I want to play a gig with them. Uh, I got a bit more familiar with the scene locally. So, uh, like you can guess that my, you can say that my musical knowledge is sort of a mix of things that I picked up from different areas around the island.
0: When kind of listening to um, when you dropped the singles, like Avocado Macchiato, it's it's such a great name and and the funk groove, there's so many different... Credits to Rob for
1: that. We we went over for a lunch once, like a few months ago, and we were discussing track names, album names. And Rob, when he thinks of ideas, he likes to keep these uh, um, notes on his iPhone. And he said, you know what? I have a few ideas and uh, you could use them if you like. And Avocado Macchiato was one of them. And I'm really bad with deciding upon giving a name to something. I always like overthink things uh, and given that these two singles that you mentioned were released in such a short period of time, um, I was like, Impulse. I asked the other session musicians that were playing with me, which happened to be good friends of mine. And uh, as you said, you know, you mentioned the smile on your face, they're like the same, like that actually has a ring to it. So it's stuck.
0: It's 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 very memorable. It's it's easy just to kind of remember, and it it flows off off the tongue so well. It's great, and like there's a lot of John Frusciante funky, you know, kind of vibes in there as well. And you kind of got more of like the Clockwork and Wolf style, you know, bit of hard rock in in Avocado as well, and it's it definitely seems like that. kind of muting, you know, muting of the strings, that funky style is yeah. definitely kind of where your persona sits, I would say.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, you, uh, you read me like an open book with the funk inspiration there because um, my, I play a lot of funk and pop for session work. But at heart, I'm still a rock guitarist, which is why I really tend to let go even when we're at a Clockwork Wolf and Company session or rehearsal. Um, so, uh, these two, two singles represent two kind of different sides, but the, the sound and the way they're produced kind of, um, is what sort of marries them together, sound-wise. Um, guitar influences, why well, you mentioned John Frusciante? I was a big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan in my early twenties. That never went away. In fact, when I started to discover guitarists like Corey Wong, for example, and Mark Lethierry from Snarky Puppy. Um, uh, that sort of love for the progressive funk kind of rekindled as well. Um, I'm also a very big fan of Larry Basilio. Uh, she's not as such a funk player per, per se, but her style, her phrasing is, is so precise and so, uh, so good that um, basically, you know, Corey Wong and, and Mark Leterian and Larry Basilio have living in, been living in my Spotify playlists for quite a while now. Um, and also, I was always a big fan. If anyone would, would have to ask me, what is your all-time top favorite guitarist? Um, I would have to mention Guthrie Govan. Um, I love the way he manages to, to fuse so many different genres, yet making it his own timber, his own style. That it's, um, it's just, you know, I'm always awestruck listening to him play.
0: It can be such an out-of-body experience watching Guthrie sometimes. I mean, I'll I'll be honest, I'm not massively, hugely familiar with his back catalogue, but every time I watch him, I I just, you kind of... You watch him do a phrase or a lick or a section, then you kind of just have to go, what did I just watch? He's just got such an air and grace.
1: He inspires you to pick up the guitar and and, uh, tells you, you know, I, I want... I want to see what I can learn from this guy, what I can pick up. Um, in fact, I have a few uh, chromatic phrases um, infused with the natural minor, sort of the way, the way he marries them together in, uh, in both avocado and both um, garden groove. Um, that I, what I was like, when composing this, I was like, I want something that sounds like Guthrie. Obviously, I'm nowhere as near as a as a you know as close to to such a such a, an incredible skill. But I want to see what I can pick up and and show that I am inspired by. So um, and I think some of them have learned that. And also um, at the time of filming and recording this podcast, I am going to be watching Guthrie Govin in a couple of weeks perform with Hans Zimmer at um, in Zurich with Hans Zimmer. So uh, yeah, that's going to be quite a treat. I'm in love with. Hans Zimmer live in Prague. I've seen it so many times, um, and uh, finally get to watch the the concert live is going to be as you said. Oh,
0: we have. Oh, we have Luke back. Hello
1: again. <laughs> yep. Let me turn on the camera again. That's Yep. Okay. Uh, as I was saying, yes. So it's going to be such a. It's going to be such a. Um, uh, surreal experience watching him live for for the first time. Well, actually, for the second because he did come and perform a clinic in Malta uh, a few years back. I think it was twenty eighteen or or the sorts. And uh, obviously, I I I attended and uh, I got to meet him and, and he had a, like a little meet and greet afterwards. So yeah, this is mm-hmm. the second time I'm going to watch him, but actually, you know, watch him, watch him for for good. You know, in in. Uh, in context with Hans Zimmer,
0: it yeah that's Hans Zimmer's just this. There's, there's not really quite anything or any one way to describe him with how good he is. Yep. Um, he's he's just such a fantastic composer in the sense of he he knows what to play for every single thing there is
1: yep. out yep. there. He can't keeping his his signature sound at the same time. It's it's yeah
0: it's amazing. It's like um, I love Inception and uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman series yeah. films and um, the the soundtracks to those like they're very similar. Like you can tell it's Hans Zimmer, yep. but they have such a different feel to them. And uh, it, yeah, yeah, I think watching Guthrie with him will be an absolute treat.
1: I'm looking You're... forward to it Yeah.
0: I'm not surprised. Um, with Malta, Malta's kind of you know it's very out in the way, in it you know in it, in its own area, in yep. its own place, um, and it's very difficult, obviously, for bands to get to these areas. You know, you would never see the bands like uh, you know, I don't know, Pink Floyd or something like that. You know, coming to to Malta. Yep. So. Um, how has things like that had an impact on you know yourself? You know, local band scene in Malta because it's got to be quite difficult to be out there. But
1: um, it's part. Well, we as you know, island people, so to say, we're only like a, a very small island of half a million people in the middle of the Mediterranean. So it's was part of our upbringing, part of our culture that, in order to. Um, go watch a concert or experience anything similar. we need to grab a flight. we need to go abroad. so we did have a few big names over the years um so we've had sting before we 've had mark Knoppler we've had um quite a few acts uh, that quite a, a few organizations locally had managed to to book and get uh however as you're saying it's is uh, it's always been um, like, you know, you want to go see someone, you want to experience um, like a festival or a convention, then uh, you have to have the financial backing because obviously you need to buy plane tickets and you have to make the time and effort to go there. Um, whereas somewhere somewhere like the UK or, or somewhere else in Europe, um, you know, it has to be like a drive. Driving can be tiresome, but it's different than, you know, getting a flight, uh, etc. So, that has impacted most, um, um, obviously, most of the, the musicians here, because the, knowing that you have to make that extra effort always, you know, um, sort of requires the, that you really need to want it. You really need to have to be inspired. So obviously, it's it's a bit harder to get to certain places, but it's very fulfilling nonetheless once you do. So yeah that is sort of the the sort of the island thing we have got got going
0: here it's um it also kind of i guess being having local bands and, and smaller bands within the islands as well that also brings up such a great opportunity yeah. um for local bands to make a name for themselves like here in the england you know in england you'll you'll have a list as long as your arm of local bands that are constantly doing know the local scene but will yep. never get the exposure whereas somewhere like in Malta maybe they can get a bigger name for themselves
1: locally you know, yes be- um uh, again this given the the small size the obviously it's rather easy ish because of you know geographically and population wise to um get well known in in uh, in such a small community but obviously that we we like to call it the glass ceiling effect, where you know that you've reached um, the most you can ever reach locally, and the only way you can actually do do more or do you know progress further in your career is to go abroad, and that's a whole different um, kettle of fish, as they say. You know, it's uh, it's yeah. even harder because you're once you're used to. Uh, you know, expose, exposing yourself to a small community and having a certain reach at a short period of time abroad is going to be much harder because you're exposing yourself to a wider range of, uh, of different audiences and, you know, depends if your style is quite niche or not. Um So, yeah, exposing yourself to a global market is something that um, is not new because there have been quite a number of artists that have managed, um, but obviously there hasn't been anyone that has, you know, um, exposed themselves to a, a huge international scale, you know, to the point of, like, um, as you are saying, like, you know, the local acts in the UK that made it big, like, you know, Kasabian Oasis, um, like Robbie Williams, and, you know, like that. So it's a, it's a different, it's a whole different, um, what shall I call it, it's a whole different situation, so to say.
0: Yeah. Um, being kind of you know in the in the session player scene, you never fully, you kind of I would say always on your toes. You never know what's going to come through the door, and especially you know being a session player, I think, uh, deserves a lot more skill and credit than I think it's given because some people just think. Oh, uh, you're giving the music. Here you are. It's, it's a free gig, but you know in retrospect, it, it's not necessarily always that easy, is it?
1: Um, it depends on the kind of gig you get. Uh, in fact, I was having this similar conversation with Peter Onore recently. Um, when well, being a session musician, sometimes the gigs you get require you to read music. sometimes the gigs you get require you to not read music just have a set list a day or two before, and there you go. So um, it requires a certain amount of adaptability. Um, I can sight read, I can read music, but I'm not the best at it. So I would need um, the sheets, charts, scores, whatever you call them in advance, uh, so I can you know, have a look at them and familiarize myself with them. Um, and um, if not, obviously there's a lot of research that, you as a session player has to do on your own. For example, you have a list of songs, but you're not provided with any kind of charts, not even a simple chords or tabs or notation whatsoever. It's up to you to make sure that you're as well prepared as you are, uh, as much as you can be um, that day of the gig, you know? Um, And that includes lots of homework, you know, uh, if you're playing with a solo artist, asking what keys the songs she does are, if there are any particular structure changes to the original ones that are on the record. Um, uh, preparing your sounds as well from before um, and, you know, um, clearing out with the artist or or the production whether uh, they want the exact sounds on the record so you need to replicate or whether they're going to give you a little leeway so that you can actually, you know, be more of getting you of your own timber, contributing to that um, how strict they are with performing if they want the performance to be note for note um, According to what the score was given or how it is on the record, or if they allow again any uh any like free play towards you know giving it your own uh touch um it's important to always as a session player respect what is required of you, so um you can't just go and you know improvise if you're expected not to um you're actually quite seeing a bit of dick if you if you do that you know <laughs> so um uh, and however at the same time it can happen the other way around if you're too conservative and the other guys are like you know go 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 ahead go ahead um uh, it's it's um you might be seen as you know slight slight bit you know taken aback so uh the more homework you do and the more prepared you are the better of the chances is that you get asked again for the next one so uh, i think that's uh, always important and the final point to being a good session player I think is respecting the arrangement and respecting the song. Um and always be aware of what the other musicians are playing. Um obviously if there aren't any, you know, too much rigid rules and you can you can obviously give more of your own taste in the, in the cover or the original that you're playing. Um it's always important to be aware what the drummer is doing, what the keyboardist is doing. Um, where the vocals are going to come in um, or what the other guitars is playing because you might be in a two-guitar scenario. So, um, yes, always be aware of what parts um, the other musicians are playing. Respect the arrangement. And, um, yeah, you always have to make sure that the others, the other people, are sounding good as well, not just yourself. E- each person needs to, you know, pick the others up and make band sound good as a unit
0: it's, it can be very difficult because sometimes you're not necessarily you know when you're in a band of say just four people you're all in the spotlight whereas you know kind of when you are in that session work it's like you say it's respecting the music respecting what is is needed at the time it's very easy to when you have your moment to get carried away and it's like right it's my time to shine for you know eight bars yeah. and I th- I think it could be very easy to get carried away and yeah. not playing like you say what suits. Yes. The song. That's true.
1: Um, <laughs> yes. Um, even if you are well aware of when your eight bar solo is, um, it's kind of like you know the 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 viral um, video of the, dr- the famous drummer at the wrong gig kind of thing.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: which afterwards I got to know that actually was um, a part of the act. But, uh, you know, as brutal as the internet is, it made the rounds as um, coined, being coined as the drummer is the wrong gig. Um, so g- putting that into a guitarist's perspective, even if you know you have your, you know, your solo section, um, if you're playing a ballad or, or you know, like something like uh, country rock or something like that, um, you're not gonna go play thirty second notes shredding like you know it's out of context. So again, uh, you mentioned a very good point, and and you mentioned the phrase getting carried away. Um, so even if you are able to, you know, uh, be very choppy and and you know play very fast, it doesn't mean that you need to show that you are able to play that. Um, because it's again respecting the arrangement and respecting the. Uh, The style of song in your playing is what will eventually get you called out the second time for the job. So, yeah.
0: It's um, less is more. Precisely. Yeah, I I think one of the people that are really good with that is like Brian May. You know, Bohemian Rhapsody solo, probably one of the most iconic solos. Yep. Not technically difficult, not too many notes, not too much in it, but... When it hits, it packs that yep. punch, like you say.
1: That has, has uh, two very important elements, in my opinion. It has, as you said, the selection of notes. It's so melodious. It's, um, it, you know that it's a good guitar part, a good solo, a good melody, when you know that a singer can be able to sing that. When a melody can be sung by a vocal, I think this is quite a, a rule of thumb I like using, when a melody can be sung it is very memorable and it is very well written it shows that it's memorable and well written so Brian May has that definitely in the bag and also his his guitar sound he's one of those guitarists when you you can not listen to Eddie Queen's song but you can listen to him play and say that's Brian May and there are quite a few guitarists that, you know, have that. For example, Carlos Santana, the same. It's I think he he's not, you know, one of the most complicated virtuosos on a, a, of our time. But when you hear him play, you say, that's Santana. So uh, I think it's much more of a of an achievement of, you know, a, a milestone in a musician's career to be instantly recognizable and identifiable rather than to have all the you know,
0: all, all the chops in the world, you know? It'd be, it's quite interesting to hear your viewpoint where being in, like, the, the session world and, you know, predominantly, like, the pop world, yeah. and pop world has some of, like, you know, you could say some of the best production, yeah. you know, for value, you get so much well. Um. In terms of the sound arrangement and just how everything sits. Yep. Um, so working as a as a producer, mm-hmm. it's i I would assume that you pull a lot of elements for that for when you're doing work, say like you know when you've done some bits for Clockwork Wolf okay. and you know any other other bands. Um, how was that added to your skill set?
1: Well, uh, being a producer for others. Uh, actually allowed me to think kind of outside the box and have a an outsider's perspective on a piece of music um so when it came to doing um you know some of my stuff and my stuff being as in um where I am the guitarist in a band um uh i obviously I try to tell myself, okay, now look, you're the guitarist. You need to think like guitarist and you need to perform like a guitarist. You can't wear the producer's hat anymore. Um, However, in doing that, obviously, I am influenced by the fact that um, I was and I am a producer. So when I am contributing to a guitar part within a song, um, like, for example, when I am playing in, uh, in a band and I am the only guitarist in a pop situation, um I'm going to try and uh contribute to the soundscape of of the song um what does that mean given that um do I need like a a, a one note melody do do I need like a an ostinato like a repeat sequence here and or do I need something a bit more rhythmic do I need to open the chord voicings do they need to be a dyad? or can i you know be a bit more uh open in a harmonic way do I need to fill in the whole all, all chord um can I spice it up do I do I add like a can I include ninth chords do I do I add um like you know a seventh or or a suspended fourth uh, but then when it comes to clockwork for example I am uh, not the only guitarist in the band so I have to support what Rob is playing sometimes I have to play um when Rob is singing so I have to make more of a take more of a rhythmic role or I need to play um with Rob and that can that can um open up two parts in the way i would see it so when i'm playing with rob do i need to double his guitar in a live situation to make you know give that big wall of sound kind of um kind of feel or do i need to play something uh, that complements him for example when he's playing uh, let's give a practical example let's say he's playing a, uh, a c minor chord okay and he's playing um, a C-158, you know, a, a normal power chord. Um, do I play a higher voicing of that inversion, or do I play just uh, an E-flat octave on the uh, on the sixth fret, for example, so on, of the second string? So that way, I'd like to see myself as sort of the right or the left hand on a piano, given that I started piano lessons when I was seven years old. Um, if there are two guitarists, um, I like to see us as being the left and the right hand on the piano. We're both playing the same chord, but what each hand is doing is contributing harmonically or theoretically to the, to the sound is, is different. So it depends on whether you want to give that big wall of sound kind of feel or do you want to give it a bit more of a less uh, harmonic, rich harmonic thing and you want to just you know, give hints of the chord. So that's, that's the way sort of, I approach things
0: it's actually really interesting because like you know the the piano aspect you know treating the the instruments like you say almost like one hand and another hand yeah. it's um it's a very good way to um approach the writing mm-hmm. i would say um ha- and with having your own project how is it then kind of Sitting in that role, okay, you know, listen, l- listen to me now. I'm the per, you know, I'm the person that's kind of, you know, trying to take the lead on this because it can be very difficult trying to put your thoughts across on what you want, but at the same time yeah. not annoy <laughs> the other people in the band as well.
1: Yeah. So I have a small confession to make. These two songs were done in a matter of around five days. Okay. So, um, again, I was very pressed for time and um, I, I didn't have as much time as I would have liked to dedicate to my own uh, material. However, I said, no problem. Somehow I'm just going to try and figure out how to make this work. So I booked the videographer for the music videos. Um, and by the time we were actually filming the music videos, we had the playback on the PA system. Um, uh, which were actually the rough mixes. They weren't actually mixed and mastered yet, so um, everything was being done in, like you know, in parallel simultaneously. So that had to, to affect the way that the songs were produced. Um, I have played, starting with the drums. I have played the drums on a few pop tracks that I produced before. Um, however, given the style I wanted to, uh, to, to. Develop in, in my own tracks, um, I knew I had to get like good drummers for the session. So I got two drummers, one of which is Rob, uh, Robert Spiteri from Clockwork Group and Company. And um, he just killed it. You know, he, he, I didn't even send him a rough guide for the track before. Um, he came to the studio, heard it, charted it in 25 minutes. And I can tell you <laughs> that because I had a camera running all the way through, and uh, he literally, like, okay. This is going to be a bit complicated because there were different sections in the song like it's not a pretty straightforward track so i can't remember it off by heart but give me a piece of uh, like a pen and paper we charted it 25 minutes um and he went into the live room back there um had like five takes first two or three he was like you know finding his footing like literally literally saying okay now this part goes dynamically goes a bit softer so I might, you know, reduce the hi hat in this part, and you know, um, thinking about the arrangement um, again. So, um, and then like the fifth, sixth take, he came in it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, I had only like three or four edits, like you know, just punch-ins. The rest of it is like um, not stuck to the grid. Um, when it comes to the bass, uh, I played the bass myself in that, um, and uh, I had. Uh, a friend of mine, Joseph Asha, who is the keyboardist for a band I play with called Relic, he played the keys in Garden Groove, and I played the keys in Avocado Macchiato. Um, guitars, when it came to rhythm guitars, um, I could have done them myself, but I have I have a close friend of mine um, called Matthias Malia. He was the person that came up with, with the Chapman team at NAMM, uh a week ago. And we've been friends since we were like 12 years old at school. And and we've been, you know, like, uh, he's two years younger than I am, but we used to get the school bus together going and coming home. And that was the time where we used to get our guitars to school, get them out of the cases at the back of the bus, and, you know, like jam to whatever was on the radio at the time, or, or just, you know, it was, or to Metallica, we were big Metallica fans at the time. So that friendship transpired into... Um, you know me calling him and like, listen, I have my own instrumental tracks and somehow I want you to be part of them. He came to the studio. Um, I played him the rhythm tracks I, I that I had played guides for, and he nailed them. Um, we used the Chapman ML3, um, for the humbucking sound. That choice. Um, the it was the. I forgot exactly the finish, but was that like um really bright blue? metallic blue color uh, with two humbuckers yeah. um, and uh, we played the riffs on avocado macchiato with the bridge pickup and we did the same thing again with the neck pickup then we uh, we got the if i'm not mistaken it was the ml1 pro um, and uh, we used the neck pickup and we tracked the single coils there and the ml3 pro which has the T-Style bridge pickup. Again, Seymour Duncan. I think it's uh, Hotford for Tele, if I'm mistaken. Or... Yeah. And uh, we tracked, again, so we had four, um, Chapman ML3 humbucker, um, neck, ML3 humbucker bridge, uh, ML1 Pro neck pickup single coil, and ML3 Tele pickup single coil. So it was like just uh, a thick layer of guitar sounds for the riffs. Um, and then I used my ML one for the lead parts, the bridge, bridge pickup for that. Um, so in returning back to your original question without deviating too much, um, I did most of the production work myself and uh, with regards to arrangement, but still involved a few people that were like close to me that I wanted to be on there. Um, with regards to mixing, um, I wanted to involve a good friend of mine, Kenny Dugo, who is uh, a phenomenal mix engineer. Um, and he helped me as well, you know, uh, reach the deadline in time. I left for Nam at April 9th on Sunday. And that's when I sent him the tracks right before I, I got a taxi to, to the airport. He mixed them. <laughs> and there was like just a couple of mix revisions and it was good to go. Um, at the same time, I got sent the music video and uploaded them to my YouTube channel, and the rest was history. So, um, and Kenny mixed both uh, Garden Groove and Avocado Macchiato. Uh, Garden Groove was named so because we were actually uh, staying at a motel in a place called Garden Grove, which was in Anaheim. And uh, again, I was clueless for a name of what to name the first one, given that Avocado Macchiato was, you know, named, <laughs> and um, we were, uh, apart from, from having YouTube open and ready to be uploaded, I had a Google Maps tab open as well, because we were deciding <laughs> where to go for breakfast. Um, so, um, Matthias was, was next to me, and they asked him, listen, what do you think of Guardian Groove? Like, sounds fine to me, and, you know, the rest is history, so <laughs> that's what happened.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's what I will need to do. Is like uh, I, you know, did my own album, and I'm, I've been really stuck with names. Maybe I just need to start going on Google Maps and <laughs> finding random, random locations and naming it that way. Yes. Um. I I would like to very much talk about your relationship, uh, with Rob because okay. I I've I, as you probably well know I've known Rob for many 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 years yes. now, and I think he's one of the nicest human beings on earth he's genuinely very selfless yes. and he always you know he, he's very good with his friends and ev- just everything he does yeah um because it's kind of i would say then having that relationship and coming to like work with him you know kind of is with chapman guitars and doing some of the production and in the bands and session work and it's almost kind of like a match made in heaven but it benefits both parties at the same time
1: yeah um there's is, there's is, okay so i'm going to exp- I'm going to narrate the story of how we met that would eventually lead to um our current relationship now uh and i'm going to explain the working relationship that we have as well because um, yeah
0: cuz there is also a line between friendship yeah. and professionalism
1: yeah and i think rob manages to um keep that quite well he is a very assertive person as well which um uh, i admire a lot because um uh, i i it is a quality that i've always wanted to to uh, to have myself you know being as assertive as i can and i think it was a perfect role model so um rewinding back to 2016 um i was um you know a good usually like guitarist like everyone else um i still am a guitarist like everyone else um, but at the time, I was, you know, hooked onto YouTube, and uh, Rob was one of the um, persons that I used to follow uh, quite religiously. And um, then I got to know that he was visiting Malta because he started going out with natasha his uh, yeah. current wife. Um, current wife, sorry, that came out very, uh, very bad. His now wife, Natasja.
0: Um, yeah. I will I, I we we can change that Yes, in the uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry Rob if you're listening. <laughs>
1: it's okay. Um so yes he was going out with his now wife Natasia. Um and uh, he he was in Malta and he uh, uh, uploaded the video onto Facebook at the time and he said that he was going to be at a certain bar in um, in an area called Pacheville in Malta, which is like the nightlife area. Um, and he said, whoever wants to drop by, have a chat and have a drink, um, is welcome to do so. Uh, coincidentally, I was with Matthias at the time when we saw that video. And uh, we looked at each other and said, why don't you try our luck and see if we manage to meet him? We went there um, and I was, you know, quite starstruck to see him. And he was, as you said, being the nice person that he is, he's just like, Opened his arms, gave me a big hug, and uh, I told him I honestly wasn't as excited. Um, I wasn't excited uh, as excited when I met Satch as I am when I'm with you, believe it or not, you know. Uh, And he's like, oh, that's, that's, you know, I'm going to take it as a compliment. And um, we spent the night drinking, and I told him that I had a home studio at the time where I was living with my parents. It was at the basement. Um, and I offered him, like, you know, if you want, uh, come over, check it out, you know, we'll, we'll uh, maybe grab lunch. And he told me, Listen, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll come over to your studio tomorrow, I'll, uh, I'll shoot a video there. Um, but uh, it would be awesome if you could make us breakfast, and it had to be a vegan breakfast because at the time both him and Nat were uh, vegan, so um, yeah. I had no clue how to make a vegan breakfast, I confess. I went on Google. <laughs> um, I went to the grocery store, you know, found all these, um, you know, these vegan sealed and Alpro products and stuff like that. Managed to, to cook up a vegan breakfast. Um, they came, both him and Nat. Uh, and uh, he shot a video. I think it's still on his channel. He still had dreads. I had short hair. Um, and uh, he played my, my gem, which I still have here. Um, and Oswald, that ends well, it was a very nice, you know, encounter with, with the Chappers himself. And he went back to, to, to the UK and we kept in touch, you know, just rather lightly, you know, sending birthday messages to each other, um, asking how we were, like, you know, and just small talk, things like that. Fast um, forward to the day where he wanted to film a Catalyst music video in Gozo, which is a sister island of Malta. So I get a call from him, like, listen, you're a guy I know, um, one of the few people I know from from Malta that might be able to help me. Um, I'm going to need a van uh, and a PA system for, you know, playing the song back uh, to, to, to the Catalyst uh, for the music video shoot. And I'm like, sure, I think I can sort you out. Uh, I spoke with my dad, who had this van um, uh, at the time. And he's like, sure, I can lend it to your friends. And he's like, but under one condition. I want to, you know, go pick them up at the airport and, you know, at least meet them and know, get to know them a bit. I'm like, sure, no problem. So I called up Rob. I told him, I'm going to lend you my PA system and uh, you can borrow my dad's van. Like, seriously? Like, sure, yeah, you can borrow them. It's all good. And uh, he's like, but... I hope you don't have plans on who's picking you up from the airport because my dad wants to come pick you up and meet you. I'm like, sure. And, and you know, um, we went there. I met with, with Pia for the first time, with Ben Meinl, Dave Hollingworth, uh, with, with all the band. And um, they left a very good impression with my dad because, let's face it, they're all, very, all nice lads, very good lads. Um, yeah. And, uh, again, that's that. Music video was done filmed, got my van back, got my PA back, and the rest is history. Um so that that at this point me and Rob grew a bit closer relationship wise, but we weren't um like super close because we did live in two separate countries. Um then COVID came and that is was a quite big turning point um for 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 the story because he gave me a call I remember I was at dog park with my dog and I got the phone like, hi Rob, nice to, you know, hear your voice again. What's up? And he's like, "Um, listen, uh, the uh, pandemic isn't going to get any better by the looks of things. Um, I think me and my wife have discussed uh, things and we decided that uh, moving to Malta would be uh, beneficial for, uh, for us and also for our kids. Um, given that they were very, very young at the time. Um, I think they were one and three at the time. And uh, given that also Nat's parents were, uh, you know, very close and, and available, uh, give, having the support from the in-laws was a very good thing. So they, uh, they decided to move and he needed a place where to work. Like, sure, you know, come over. And uh, have a look at the studio and uh, see what you think. So he came here. Uh, he saw the live room, saw the control room. he's like, you know what? I think this is perfect. it be a good fit. I can film my music videos here. Um, sorry, my YouTube videos here. Uh, I can work, you know, have some time to respond to emails. Um, uh, you know, catch up with Chapman, guitar stuff, things like that. Like, perfect. Um, he started by... The studio like twice a week, on to three times a week, on to literally no, you know, appointments whatsoever till, till this very day because um, we practically become almost family. I've been invited to uh, his children's birthday parties. Um, I've been invited, you know, when he when his parents come over from the UK to take them out for lunch. You know, we we go for lunch there. He he was obviously invited to to. My birthday party, my wife's birthday party. It's you know, we we we've grown close. Um and you can expect it because when you're seeing a person that many times a week, and you know, you're having lunch together, you're 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 sharing ideas, um you end up you know having heart to hearts with the guy and again realizing what what um what a what a good human being Rob is, and um that evolved. So uh, now being obviously a very good friend of mine and having me involved with Chapman Guitars, which is, um, he did confess, It's like, I don't want to seem as if I am, um, it was actually a very valid point of concern. He I don't want to um, seem as if I am making a friend, a Chapman guitarist in Dorsey. Um, but, you know, Rabia is a very good friend of mine and he's a Chapman, you know, he was at the time, a Chapman guitarist with Arsene Dorsey and um, I think it makes sense to make you one obviously I was thrilled um, and it was at the time where we were working together at the studio obviously he's working on his own stuff I'm working that, that's the way we usually work he was booked to the live room and, and shooting videos there and used to carry on my studio work here and um, he used to you know um, when we turn on the tv or asking me you know Going off for a coffee and work pass by the control room door, asking what I'm working on. Um, bit by bit, you so discover, you know, like, oh, what are you doing? Practicing for a TV gig. Oh, that's nice. Um, what are you doing? Oh, I'm mixing this for local this song for a local artist. Um, I'm I have to prepare, you know, I have to leave early today because I'm going to go for a for a gig with the Malta Philharmonic Orchestra, for example. Um, and bit by bit it actually he felt that he could validate the reason why um he made me a Chapman artist at the end of the day and i am very thankful for that um and that led to obviously um my my relationship with the brand grow um i really admire the fact that it, chapman guitars really is like a family i've been you've been there at the Birmingham guitar show you've seen dan you've seen alex um it's not a big company it's Made out of a handful of people that, that are very dedicated to their work and um uh, having myself be part of that family is is you know it's i think it's um I really appreciate the fact that that it's the understanding is very mutual and to see such hard working individuals um you know work pay off at the end of the day so I think that is kind of a um in a nutshell, the timeline between 2016 and 2023 of how Luke and Rob got to work together um, <laughs> over the years.
0: And I, I, yeah, because I, I, started getting into Rob, like, say, very early YouTube days, and it's 2016 when I first met him. And it's a very similar sort of thing when I met him at um, a door J gig, and um, I went to like give him a handshake because I, I was just kind of like.
1: Yeah, oh, struck. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um he pulled, you know, he he pulled me in for a hug and um he knows like now that I was having a really crap time in life at that point and it was that hug from him that kind of made yeah. everything better and, yeah. and stuff like that and He has a it was ever since... he has a
1: knack of picking these these um of knowing what what the person's going through. Yeah. With.
0: Um and since then we've become very good friends and um you know, I'm I'm not gonna you know make no bones about it. I would I would I would cut my leg off to be a Chapman. You know, in in the in the Chapman family, and I'm working hard towards that. And the guitars are so good. The line that they've yeah. brought out this year that we saw at the UK Guitar Show and and yeah. Nam, it, it's they're just they're getting better and better. Yeah, and, and better
1: with with regards to the models. Um, I I. What drew me most to the guitars was, you know, you can, as an as a session guitarist, um, I have, I I have to have like a good toolbox, a good tool set, um, and what what really really uh, caught my eye with with the with the whole Chapman guitars lineup is that they're constantly evolving. So if there is uh, there is always going to be a model that's going to resonate with you, with, with me in particular. Um, given that sometimes I need uh, to play. I'm I'm let's let let me just come out with it. I'm an I'm an SSH kind of guy, okay? I love a good single, single humbucker equipped guitar. Because um most of the stuff I do um then for neck pickup, a good single coil would get it over and done with. And Obviously, a a tapped humbucker would cover a huge range of the pellet. So, given that there's the ML1 Pro and the ML1 Pro X um, that are are within the line, those immediately caught my eye. I'm like, Rob, um, can I try these out? And he had some shipped over because he needed to do a, uh, a demo for them at the time. And I picked them up and they just fit perfectly for, for my, my, uh, my needs, my work. And he, he offered and he said, listen, if you need any kind of guitar, um, I can arrange to have it, ship it shipped for you because that is the artist the on endorsement terms. But I actually so far never needed to, to, to ask for a particular guitar because the, the limited range that he has here at the studio um, limited being because those are the guitars that he had to demonstrate for his YouTube channel. Those were enough, so they were they were always and never. I never actually felt the need to to ask for one more because what he had here was perfect for what I needed to do. And given this year, I'm sure you've watched the launch of the limited edition gold top um, ML3 with single single humbucker configuration and the trem. Um, that is always on my radar, and if that eventually makes its way to the studio, I'm going to have a hard time sending it back and letting it walk out the door so um <laughs> and that's equipped with Seymour Duncans as well so um it adds also a, a different edge to to the tone so uh, yeah that that's um that's what I have to say about the, the the brand and and the models they're always evolving, and each year um they come up with. Uh, such innovative designs and such um, you know they are really listen to their uh, their their fans and their customers and their clients
0: i've always maintained that they are like they do actually pay attention to what you know the the people that, that use chapman want you know they they still do the polls and they're still very yeah. much based with you know um, the guitar player at heart and I sent him a message and I said Rob you're the reason I have so many guitars and you know like so much guitar acquisition syndrome because you, you keep making something that's just like oh I need that oh I need that oh I need that and it's it's yeah. never ending it's absolutely never ending
1: I try um, really hard not to not to buy guitars because um given that I am also, you know, I own my own studio. I have to allocate a budget to, you know, keep things running as a, as a studio owner as well and as a producer. Um, but yes, the, the, the gas thing is real. It's very real. And especially <laughs> when, when uh, you meet people like Dan and, um, and Dave Hollingworth, who is uh, a great guitar designer, you know, um, and he's not a good guitar designer because, by the way, these are both bassists. Both Dan and Dave Hollingworth are both bassists and they managed to come up with, obviously, not taking anything away from them just because they're bassists. We all know the running joke. But, um...
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're not saying anything, but no, we know, no, we know no, what not, we're
1: thinking. Not at all, not at all. Um, but, you know, the the their work speak, speaks for itself and, um... It's, uh, it's really uh, ad- admirable how much detail they put in and how the love they put in for their work. Um, you know, as, as we all know, Dave does most of the designs. And um, every now and again, Dan uh, designs a few models every now and again. In fact, the, um, the walnut top um, ML1 Pro, ML1X that was at Birmingham. I think you've seen that one uh at yeah. that stage that is actually designed by um by dan orchard himself um it's a ah. it's an ML1 pro X sorry it's an ML1 X again um uh, with if I'm not mistaken a one top it has a very dark natural wood top and uh Seymour Duncan's as well and it sounded and played phenomenal phenomenally and as well as the uh the gold top that we mentioned, the ML3 SSH. So, yep, yeah, they they keep on they keep on uh, uh, giving us plenty of nicer prizes year after year. I uh,
0: I mean I I think when we was at the UK guitar show, I picked up one of the ML1 Pros, my my, my third ML1 now. And um, I th- I think I'm taking on an ML2 at some point soon. I-, I was having a conversation with Dan. I think I'm getting an ML2. And I'm really looking forward to that because it was really tough to pick between the two. But I don't know if you know, uh-huh. Um, after Rob played my ML1B, he was like, how much do you want for it? Yes, yes, yes. And I was like, and he was like, I'll buy it from you. And I was just like, don't do this to me. It's, it's, it's my
1: life. very hard situation. A guitar that's very, very dear to you is being, you know, you, you have an offer from the, the, the icon behind the brand and someone that is also you, you, you look up to very highly as well. So, uh, you did not The problem was as
0: uh, well, it's, it's, my album was all recorded on it, everything was written on it, whenever yes. I come in from work, it's the first guitar I pick up, it's literally always like yeah. a foot away from me, it. like it's literally right next to me now. It's,
1: it's, it has great sentimental value and I think you should hang on to it for as long as you can, <laughs> honestly.
0: I, this is gonna start. This is gonna sound really stupid because people are gonna st- are gonna slate me for this. But you know, uh-huh. there's there's guitars that have magic. You know, like like yeah. Greeny, for example. The okay, Greenie yeah, is yeah, yeah. An iconic guitar, and it's mm-hmm. this ML one beer has magic. I swear to God, in it there was some sort of sorcery in it that just There's... I've got two custom shop ESPs from okay. Japan, and Lovely. and. I pick my ML1B before I pick them up.
1: It's I, that you know, I don't blame you at all because, um, okay, let's let's talk about the, the 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 value of the guitar. We're talking. We can either talk about the the financial value, or we can either talk about the intrinsic value, which it can be either sentimental or, as you you know described as the magic, and I think what th- this this term, the magic transpires to, is how you. Know, every everyone's different. You know, everyone's built differently. Everyone is a different human being. There she is. Um, <laughs> embrace her tightly. Um, since everyone is a different human being, everyone will find something that you know will will just hit the right spot in a particular way, in a different manner than someone else will. And uh, I don't know if you've watched the recent uh, review of the ML1X by uh, Mark from Ferritone Studios.
0: Um, I think he had... The... It's on the watch list, Dolby. I haven't watched it yet because I've been so busy with work, That's but okay. it's on the watch list.
1: Um, and in, in that episode, he was reviewing, I think it was the purple one, and uh, he mentioned me in that video. He's like, I'm pretty sure um, Luke had one. He said, uh, I've seen a photo on his Instagram uh, and he got a screenshot of my, my post. And then he followed up by saying, I'm not sure why he's using it so so much at the moment because I know that he has the pro version. So there has to be you know, a reason why um, he's choosing it for these gigs over the pro. Um and there is this sort of um, there's this sort of Im- impression that people have just because something is a pro-version, it is automatically better, where the specs on paper are better, you know. But um, I am a very picky guitarist when it comes to neck profiles, and for some reason. When I picked up that ml1 X as soon as it came into the studio, I was like this this it it just felt ho- at home when i when I played on the lower f- frets with it like chords and and you know these like inversions and and things like that, and as well when I played far up the neck and it just it's its curvature, its profile sits so perfectly in the palm of my hand, that, uh, for certain gigs, when I like, okay, walking out the door, choosing guitar to cover the gig, which Chapman shall it be? Okay, what songs do I have for today? I have that one. that one, No, okay, it's gonna be the ML one. X go, um, and it's a matter of choosing the right tool for the right job at the end of the day, but there was. Not not prof- I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but there was something about that guitar as you're explaining, like the mojo, the magic, that spoke to me particularly, and that just so happened to be, a, a a sub one thousand euro, one thousand quid guitar, um that has a maple, uh, sorry that has a cap, not a top, so what that has stock Chapman pickups. So what? That had a stock Chapman bridge. Again, so what? And stock Chapman tuners. But its tuning stability was good. Its pickups sounded great. And the contour on the neck was what spoke to me the most. So I think at the end of the day, all these, you know, frills and bells and whistles, um don't have as much of a strong voice in your head when you're just grabbing it in your hands and, and the guitar is speaking for itself. So um, having said that, the the ML1 Pro X is still here.
0: Sorry for uh, all of the audio <laughs> podcastness. This is, this is a treat for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have... <sighs> this is the... Um, I, I like customizing guitars a lot, okay? So, um, in fact, the ML1X is, I think, one of the only guitars that is uh, in my position that I have not um, customized yet. Okay? so Yet. But I, I'm, just, I'm just putting it out there, just saying the yet for, to future-proof myself. But coming back to this guitar, um, this has a story behind it and it is um uh, I think one of the guitars that I don't think I will ever sell in the future because um after a year of Rob using the studio um uh, yeah here he was after a year of Rob using the studio um I invited him to my birthday party and he said oh to birthday okay like yes yeah. and uh a couple of days passed, he came to his other booked uh, session at the studio, and he said, I have to give you a present for your birthday, I'm like, okay, and he's like, this is the prototype for the ML1 Pro X that was used at the Hope and Ruin gig that is on YouTube at the moment, and I want you to have it. I'm like, are you serious? You are gifting me a guitar for your birthday, um, for my birthday, and... Uh, he was actually not kidding, and um, this was this guitar um, had gone through an amount of mods, but I still have not removed the uh, the inscriptions that Rob has written at the back of the headstock. It's sort of a gig tally, which stopped as it's at its like fourth or fifth gig. Um, and he said, I want you to continue the gig tally. And I told him, Rob, I cannot do that because eventually it's going to be, you know, all all, all
0: the way down the neck.
1: <laughs> exactly. There There isn't going to be any more space left on the wood for, um, or more, but, um, uh, it still has Proto 1 written and 2020 underneath it. So this guitar is now three years old and the mods I have done to it so far are, I have stripped the, well, not me, uh, uh a local luthier called Andrew Manikoro, which is very talented. I took it to him and he stripped the the top from uh, its black stain. I think it was called Lunar Burl. Um,
0: uh, yeah, black I Lunar think burl. that name rings yeah. a bell.
1: Um, and I thought it was um, not a shame, but I could see the Burl maple top on it. And I said, like, wouldn't it be great if those were, you know, like totally revealed, because Burn maple is a beautiful wood. So, I got that. Um, he sanded down the neck profile because, as I mentioned earlier, I like slim profiles, uh, and I'm very picky with my neck, so he slimmed that down. Um, he installed a brass nut for me, and uh, <laughs> we tried to to a little experiment by installing a um a mother of pearl pig guard on it with no screws. It is actually mounted via magnets. So there are these ah. very tiny um magnetic coins, very, very tiny. Um, and I say coin because they're like, you know, circular in shape, but they're maybe like four or five mil in, in diameter, and they're inserted in the top, and obviously. The pick guard has no visible screws on it. So yeah, that is and obviously I changed the knobs uh, to um Gibson like knobs there. Something a bit more traditional. But um yeah, that this is what it looks like now. And uh, I kept the back the same. And yep, it's uh it's one of my workhorse guitars nowadays as well. I'm an ML1 guy as we, you can but... see. So
0: we both seem to have kind of a running theme here, then, because I also have a gift
1: uh, from from Rob
0: Chapman. Uh, well, this more from I would say Chapman and Rabia. Okay. Um, so this was during um COVID times, so and me Rabia was speaking a lot, dur- you know, during COVID. Okay. And. um he come to christmas day this mm-hmm. a, a couple of years back now and uh he drops me a message and he goes what's your address dude and i was just like give him my address and he was just like going to sort something out like a little something out for you and i was like oh well, that's very nice of you but i i appreciate that thank you
1: you were not aware that, that it was a day, guitar at the time you were you thought i, it was I a wasn't thing.
0: okay no and um Later on, on the night, mm-hmm. uh, he said, happy Christmas, dude. Uh, I'm sending you uh, a Chapman. And I was like, really? Like, no way. Wow. Uh, and then a couple of days later, this ML3 baritone, um, the Pale Blood Standard Series 1 turned up.
1: The, the finish on that and is beautiful. The hue, the, the red hue on that is amazing.
0: Wow. Yes. Um, and after doing some further reading and what I found out, this mm-hmm. is uh the ML3 beer that was used in all of like the photos for like Andertons or Guitar Guitar or the Chapman Guitars website. Okay. It was the pre- the press release one. Mm-hmm. Um and a, f- a friend of mine was like running Chapman guitar serials num- uh, serial numbers because he's trying to he was trying to compile like um a database of runs and uh, this run was you know like 2017 blah, blah, okay blah. and allegedly this is number one
1: wow okay
0: this is the number one off the line allegedly and so this this is never going to be solved now no definitely. <laughs> and
1: um you see what when, when you show me guitars like these, beautiful. um josh you end up uh I feel the urge to tell you when you come to Malta bring that with you, but I forgot you already said you're going to bring another guitar with you. So <laughs> I don't want to be responsible of having you carry you know a whole crate of guitars to Malta because obviously that oh. would be a perfect pairing. You've had to jam with that beer and the first proto of the ml One Pro X. It's uh, they're like made. For I'm each sure other. we
0: can. Uh, I'm sure we can make it work. Yep. I'm sure we can <laughs> make it work. We'll put it on expenses. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we I have a part in the podcast where we have guests, uh, that are able to ask guests other questions. Okay. So So, uh, this usually is a nice little follow-on segment that we have running on each p- podcast. Okay. So as you'll bear, I had uh, Mister Fred Thirst from uh, the UK's number one Limp Biscuit tribute band okay. on yesterday. When I want to, when I say yesterday, I was actually filming this one this time last night.
1: Okay.
0: Um, And he would like to ask you a question, and okay. he would like to ask you what is the most innovative product in home studios that you've worked with in the last few years?
1: Innovative product in a home studio?
0: It's a very good question.
1: It is a very good question. I'm actually taking a look around at the moment. Pun intended. Take a look around, get it? Anyway. So. Hey. <laughs> um,
0: you can have that one for free, listeners. <laughs>
1: so um, in the studio. What my what I'm thinking right now is um everything anytime. Every time I I think of something that's innovative, especially when it comes to the studio, would be something that makes my life easier. So I'm trying to ask myself, what do I currently have? Or does it have to be something I have at the moment? or?
0: It doesn't have to be. It can be this lovely (laughs) product.
1: (laughs) I see. I see. Um, Okay, given that this podcast is a Guitar Geek podcast, Um, obviously I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, narrow it down to two, um, and thank you for the hint. Um, so basically when it comes to, to something that's innovative, um, as I said, I like to think of something that makes my life easier. So when I session, um, and this, uh, when I session with people. I obviously, I mentioned before that you need to make sure that you know what sound you're going to dedicate to each song or to each artist. Um, That might include quite a headache, because if you're playing, for example, uh, I play an annual festival here in Malta, which um, it's like sort of um, having hints from Eurovision and and Melody Festival in, in Sweden. So you get these contestants, it's like a song contest, and uh, all these are are pop. And pop does not literally mean electronic music. You get pop rock, pop ballads, singer-songwriter, acoustic, uh, EDM, um, whatever, similar size. And the guitar parts that are written or that are recorded for these songs can vary from using tons of modulation effects to a raw guitar sound to a simple drive. So, what makes my life easy when catering for these kinds of jobs is having um a kind of amp simulator unit, like the quad cortex, the helix, or the kemper. Now, personally, I'm a helix guy um, and as you can see, I have like practically almost the whole family of the helix behind me. I have the Stomp excel um I have the uh, the full helix floor on right outside the studio um ready to be grabbed and gone for a gig um and uh, i know there is quite a how shall i put it there is quite uh, there are quite a number of of wobbles on the internet about you know whether uh what about the sound of it about its practicality um and this is a a discussion i've had uh, many many times and it often turns into a heated discussion with pete honore Uh, he is a very traditional kind of guy an amp uh, pedal board guitar kind of guy and he is right the 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 sound you get with a traditional system from an amp is the most organic pure sounding um tone you can achieve um however Every time we discuss, you know, amp versus amp sims, whether it's, um, you know, in the car, at Birmingham, over Indian, over lunch, you know, it's it's always the same thing. I like to advocate, I'm a big um, believer in choosing the right tool for the right job. I personally, I love plugging into an amp and hearing that organic sound of the amp, of the drive. Um, of the air being pushed, of the tubes being driven, so on and so forth. However, you're not always within the um, the the uh, parameters of being allowed to do so. Um, when I, I I play with uh, orchestral instruments um, over here in Malta, it's it's very impractical to get you know like a full rig with a ramp head and cab, and you're playing with an orchestra. Um, and I play with the Malta Philharmonic Orchestra sometimes, and also um, I play with the Palace String Orchestra, which is a, a string-based orchestra and the rhythm section. So um, yeah, in that case, if I had to shout with my amp and cab, I would be very frowned upon, and I don't think I would get another gig after that. So um, I need to carry my my Helix, and the good thing is that when we play with backing tracks and you have your your click track in your in ears, um I can set my BPM for each preset. Therefore I know I'm my my delays and my modulations are always in time. Um and obviously I can choose different modulation effects and delays, whether they are in parallel or or in series, where they're placed before or after an AMP. Uh, If I wanted to download third-party impulse responses that I think would suit the 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 purpose better, I can do so as well. So there is an amount of flexibility that can that you can get, um, which is not in your traditional amp and CAD setup. Uh, And obviously, it's less stuff to carry. Um, And this is also a point that comes up when discussing this issue with uh, with Pete. Um, When I have two or three gigs in one day. In one night, even. Um, but sometimes, even, I would be cutting it so close between the end of one gig and the other. Malta's very small. It's like 40 kilometers from one end to the other. So it's very um, doable to accept two, three gigs in one day. Um, slightly stressful, but doable nonetheless. So what you need to do is, you need to be as adaptable as possible. and if you're going to accept these these kinds of gigs, you need to be able to dismantle, get into your car, drive, arrive, set up in a matter of minutes. So that, I think, is uh, to answer the question. I think it is a very, very, very innovative and helpful way for guitars to go from one thing to one. Another. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that that would be my choice.
0: It's a very good choice. Um, funny enough, the, um, the person that you're going to be asking a question to is a big advocate for the Helix as well. So, okay. you know, it, it, it's um, I guess it's kind of a, like a nice uh, continuation, actually. OK. Um, so you're going to be asking a question to somebody that I do YouTube videos with at Pedalboards of Doom. Okay. Um, so you're going to be asking our resident budget pedal chap a question. Uh, the clue is in the title. He does a lot of budget, guitar, yeah. gear, guitar pedals, guitars. And it's it's your opportunity to fire a question to him.
1: Okay. So, okay, I think I'm going to start slightly on subject, but given knowing... Um, knowing his expertise, I think i would I'm going to have to you know relate as well to this um so let's say someone is trying to cross over between the analog realm to the digital realm, but he is on a budget, okay, so what? different options would you recommend for this guitarist that is now going from um, all analog and a couple of gigs a month to full digital and to cater for an increased workload, what recommendations would you have?
0: So moving from analog to digital. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so I have worded that uh, what different options would you recommend for a guitarist moving from all analog to mm-hmm. all digital?
1: On a budget as well.
0: On a budget. It's a very good question that
1: because obviously I'm not sure what his
0: answer will be, to be honest.
1: Yeah. Because obviously the the you know the main contenders is this are you know quite heavyweights you know, having the quad, the quad cortex the kemper floor the helix the quad, um, fractal audio FM9 which came out not so long ago um, they're all they're all good but they're all expensive so um, if there is something which I'm pretty sure that you know more etc are offering but given his expertise what is available currently in the market that would um, you know, fulfill this gigging guitarist needs. Then that that would be my approach.
0: Yeah. Um, that's a very good question. I'm looking forward to that. i I can, it, I can think of a few things that he may recommend, but <laughs> I, I'm not sure what he might actually go for. So hmm, really interesting, interesting
1: for me to watch his reply as well, so and to listen to it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's always a good indicator to let to get uh, our guests to listen to the next episode. He gets me that extra one viewer or whatever. <laughs> Uh, so we've got about ten minutes left running of the podcast. Awesome. So, yep. uh, which it fly it flies by every time every week. I say it, just goes.
1: Whew. Honestly, when you said that, when you mentioned that there is a question that someone always asks to the next, um, the next. Yeah, I'm like, is this the end of the segment? Have we already been through the whole thing? And not like, yet. Whoa. Okay.
0: Not not just yet. Not just yet. Okay. So, um. What's on your radar for the next sort of you know half coming up to the halfway point of the year? Um, what have we got to look forward to with your with yourself for this year?
1: So, um, I am planning on uh, working on more material, eventually releasing a, uh, and I'm currently between deciding on releasing an EP or an album, but definitely releasing more material. Um in my name, uh both instrumental and um uh songs with artists. Um could be local Maltese singers, um or it could be other people that um I am currently in touch with from NAM, which is um something I look forward to having, you know, inviting people I've met over there uh to uh play on my on my record as well so but i'll leave you guessing um i mean not you i can obviously tell you eventually um, have some inside info but i can leave our our listeners to uh guess who m- might it be um so yes more of my own material um hopefully securing a few more fly dates with clockwork Wolf and company this summer um and obviously, as soon as we get to know, we'll be happy to divulge that information on our socials um and maybe getting to see most of you there as well for our um upcoming gigs abroad um and uh I am also trying to work more on um my uh my social media presence being more present online um it's something that I've learned to give more importance to over the past year, year and a half, and uh, I am very lucky to have someone like Rob coaching, being into, um, being a bit more present and active. So uh, I'm going to be definitely working on that as well. So yes, those are the I think three main um three main focuses that I'm going to be working on this year.
0: It's, um. My little pro tip is the reels on Instagram. Posting reels is just, it's the way forward. Yep. I, That's I was kind of like, I was one of those people where I was just kind of like, uh, I don't know if I should, you know, I don't want new kind of, I know it sounds really stupid, but not sell out, but kind of turn my Instagram just into a bombardment of yes. of, of reels. But it, do, it, but it does speak volumes. I've doubled, nearly tripled my, Following on yes.
1: there, yes. Well, to be honest, um, I have a lot of friends who view this, um, you know, this all posting of, of, of you know being out there as um, a selling out kind of. But I think it's a it's a it's a it's a false stereotype. I think because what you're doing is you're using social media as a vehicle, like as a tool. To Create more awareness about what you do and what we do, both you and I is something that we are passionate about so um there are people like for example Pete Thorne, um who has you know q and a sundays and and uh whenever he uh, demos a product, he goes all the way and creates like a backing track to hear it in context of a production um and this is all content uh, derived towards uh, being pushed online. And in no way would I view that as being selling out. I think he is just, obviously, he's being approached by companies to, to demo products and show what they can do. Uh, but at the same time, he is keeping a, a an informal yet intimate relationship with his followers by constantly being in touch and, you know, just being there and there are people who actually want to listen to that so yes provide them with the platform um which in in my eyes i don't really see that as as um selling out it's just uh, being much more in touch with your your um with like-minded individuals over let's say instagram at this point so yeah
0: that's it. like um a, a big part of my I would say my social media presence is like within, um, a lot of the Rammstein community. Um, and it's kind of like, I've, I guess I would say I've built my presence, um, around that. And you know, there's, there's always, everybody has a niche and, um, I'm sure yours, you know, maybe along the lines of, you know, maybe it might be, you know, production, Production Friday with Luke Greco <laughs> or something like That's that. That's
1: actually a yeah. good idea. Yes, I would love to work on something
0: like that as well. Um, there you go. all right. I, I'll, I'll take ten percent of the royalties.
1: Definitely, <laughs> definitely, well deserved, and I will be in touch. <laughs> and I, maybe we could have you on there as well. So, who knows?
0: One hundred percent. I will always be there.
1: I was, uh, to be honest, um, before I met you at uh, at Birmingham, I was not aware that you were. Um, you were like, you know, the owner of the Facebook group of Pedalboards of Doom. Um, it is a—it uh, it was something I, I, I was, you know, something I always look forward to when someone posts on the group. You're know, being a member of Pedalboards of Doom, and uh, even if you write my name on the search, you you'll find like a number of posts that I used to, you know, um, either ask for help or or um, or you know just. Would be so happy uh, from with an accomplishment of you know like after wiring a board and just you know posting a photo, and that is um, I think something that that you and other people that own these kind of online communities that when you create exactly that's what it is a community, it's it's contributes so much in a positive way to 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 the people in in um, being being a member uh, as a member of this this group that um, I don't think that it's it's easy not to realize the amount of good that that you would be doing by creating something like this so um, I just want to personally thank you for creating such a a very very um, nice community and a very informative and educational one as well so yeah
0: thank you i appreciate that yeah it's just kind of like me and a few other people that we run it but yep. you know this i've seen people sort of badmouth the group in other groups that i'm in and they they kind of go oh you know it's just a continual thing of like oh roast my board look i've got a clan or blah 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 and and to be honest it's like yes there are posts you know there are a lot of posts like that but we are the biggest we are the biggest pedal based guitar related community how many
1: members um, does it have at the moment now
0: oh uh, we've just passed 100,000
1: see now this is something that i think it's it's inevitable once you you have a community that's so strong and it grows to a number like 100,000 um i think it's inevitable that you're going to have people bad mouthing it um because the 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 number of people in a group reflects that there are so many people coming from different backgrounds so you're going to have people that afford you know all the shiny Strymans and 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 the boutique pedals and they're going to go they're going to have the other people who who are uh, you know have purchased a few uh, more pedals and some you know boss pedals and affordable pedals and they're happy posting that um but there's you know there's no need to snob the people that have the the um you know the, the big shiny pedals and there's no need to um to look down upon the pedals that aren't you know that don't cost as much because they're at the end of the day, there are tools for a guitarist who is um working on achieving his sound. Um so I think that you just have to like ignore the hate because with a number like that it's always going to it's always going to happen and um well just be proud of the 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 sense of community and the amount of people that are you know still um returning to the page and and uh calling it as a source of of information for them and you know just feel proud that you're being sort of a big help to others and that's i think what matters at the end of the day
0: it is. It's exactly that. And, you know, we we aim to be there as like a teaching guide as well at times because, you know, you might see people that will post a board and it's like, I've got no idea what chain I need to do. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, what would you recommend to go with this? You know, should I be put in overdrive first in front of Fuzz yeah. or anything like that? And we always seek to be create uh, like... Um, creative feedback or anything like that and any sort yeah. of post because you know yep. we're all we're all humans, we're all people, we you know we don't we don't like to be attacked. We don't like to attack anyone no. and um and
1: you're going to find I, people I asking really simple questions, you know, beginner kind of questions. And there's no need we've all, to we've to to... all been there. Exactly. We've all been there at some point or another. So it's good to remember where we came from and eventually when we see a question that for example I've had Six seven years ago, I just need to you know just be humble and say, look, I've been there. It's okay. I'm going to give you my opinion. There's no one correct way to do this. Is just the way I managed to overcome this problem. Like for example, I don't know. Some people prefer modulation in front of the amp. Some people prefer it in the loop. So how should I patch that? Okay, so this is what I did. So go ahead, feel free, experiment. Just be supportive. and No need to. You know, like, um, call each other noobs or 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 whatever. You know, we've all, as yeah. you said, we've all been there.
0: We're all adults here. Yep. we're all adults. Um, and so my my final question to you, Luke, before mm-hmm. we get on to our final segment, okay. is how how was Nam? How was California? And how was the whole experience in general? Because it, it looked great.
1: Thank you. Well, um, it was my first time. Attending NAM, and it was my first time um, atten- um, visiting the West Coast of, of the US. Um, so lo- it was my first time in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, well, I, I love the place, to be honest. Um, people are very nice there as well. Um, NAM was apparently, I was told it wasn't as big as it used to be. Um, but you know, by my scale, Coming from a a, a very a peony island, it was or like how can it even be even bigger than this, you know? So um, but um, I think it was a good first experience. Um, I was there obviously with the guys at Chapman, but I had um some time to go off and visit the other stands, making contacts with the other 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 guitar brands. Um, I spoke to the guys at Ibanez, Ernie Ball, uh, Martin Guitars, who were right opposite the Chapman stand as well. Um, I also managed to go for a quick visit to the North Building, which had all the uh, pro audio stuff as well. You know, like mics, mic preamps. So, yeah, you know, given given that I'm from a production background, I just had to go visit. Um, And I'm also a member of Mixed With The Masters as well. So knowing that they had a stand there and they, there were talks by Chris Lord-Alge, his brother Elangelo, Andrew Sheps, and, you know, all these, um, these big and experienced um, mixing engineers and producers. Um, I made sure to go visit a few of their talks. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, an amazing networking event. It was great to see, you know, um, uh, great to meet a lot of people and great to see a lot of people on YouTube and Instagram that I follow, like Red Chal, uh, Paul Davids, uh, Adnival Bureau from 10 Second Songs. Um, I also bumped into Tim Pierce, and me being a session guy, he is the session player to to look out for, and as I was walking to the other building, I was like, you know, I had like that, oh my god moment, and I was like, um, are you Mr. Pierce? He's like, yes, yes. Like, do you mind if I get a photo with you? He's like, it was very nice. He's like, sure, sure, sure. So um, yeah, I, I I underestimated the size and the amount of people you could meet. In fact, I did not manage to go through all the stands and all the places I wanted to visit. Um, but I managed to realize what a powerful event Nam can be, and uh, which is why I am definitely going again in January, coming January. So yes.
0: I I want to go one year. It it's on my bucket list. Like one year, I'll eventually get lucky and, awesome. and be able to go because it, it looks like such an amazing event to go to as a guitar fan and as you know a music fan as well. But yep. um, it, it, it it did look fantastic, and it it's been really good to see that it survived through COVID and through the yeah. pandemic because I think there was a lot of talk that yep. it might have.
1: That's why it happened in April this year. Away um it happened in april because um they the, the one in january didn't uh, wasn't uh wasn't organized so they decided to instead of having one in january one in july as they usually uh, have um the january one is the california one the july one is the one in nashville if I'm mistaken. so this year they decided to yeah. have one in april as for next year everything back to how it was um Having the one in uh, Anaheim in January and July in Nashville, so looking forward um, to to the one in January. That's the one I, I think I'll be going visiting now. So yeah,
0: it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Right, it is time for our final podcast segment. As uh, always, I ask. I know it's a shame. Is we could easily probably go for another two hours. To <laughs>
1: yes, definitely, oh. definitely.
0: Um, so on the podcast, we have a nice little segment where we ask our guests the same three questions for a nice little bit of continuity on the podcast. So mm-hmm. Luke, my first question to you is you have no budget. You are on a desert island and you can take one guitar, huh? one pedal, one amp. What are you taking with you?
1: Mm. I think I would take. Um, You know, this is really tricky because if you had to ask me the same thing next year, I would probably answer differently. But let's let's say I'm going to give you my reply as of today. How I would reply, um, uh, being the uh, the person I am on Thursday, the twenty seventh of April, twenty twenty three. I would take my ML1X, I would take a uh, Victory, uh, the Jack. Um, But more specifically, the Countess Mark II, which is the one I have over here. Um, And um, matching Victory V212 cab as well. Um, And pedal. Pedal, 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 pedal. Okay. Given that um, I'm on a desert island and you mentioned one pedal, I'm going to cheat a bit and take a lot of pedals in one. So I'm going to take my HX Stomp XL with me.
0: I made a mistake with this podcast because on the very first episode when I did this question, I said, mm-hmm. someone said to me, oh, what about, uh, can I take a Helix and or, uh, you know, a uh, axe effects and i was just and i was just kind of like yeah why not and then it's kind of become like i have to accept it now because it's not fair (laughs) yeah
1: and we're allowed to take the necessarily cables to plug them in as well right
0: oh of course yeah i'm not going to take you to a desert island and not have any power (laughs) i'm not that mean jesus But we don't have any power um, to
1: plug them in. Okay, we're, 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 I'm thinking too much into this. So, so next question. Next solar question.
0: power. <laughs> solar power. You've got a little solar power uh, okay. on a desert island. <laughs> you, did. you
1: did think of everything now, haven't you?
0: The funny, I had um, Joe uh, Hamilton from Get Good Drums. Uh-huh, yes. And um, when I asked him this question, he was like, well, I'm going to take this cab because... I can break it up and make it into, you know, like a tent or <laughs> and, he everyth- and he properly broke down everything <laughs> and he properly broke down everything. And he was like, I can u- I can use the cloth as a hat so I don't burn myself in the sun and I was just like, wow. okay, fair enough. Wow. Wow. That is really thinking ahead
1: of. Yeah, it is enough. Okay.
0: Uh, secondly, uh, what are you listening to at the moment on your preferred streaming platform?
1: At the moment, I am listening to the album by Larry Basilio, Your Love. Um, It is an amazing album from all aspects. From guitar playing, as I said, her phrasing is impeccable. Um, uh, Production-wise as well, the arrangements of the songs um, are really, really good. Um, And as well as the sound of the album, um, it's mixed and mastered, uh, pristinely. So, yes, I i am a big fan. Yes,
0: I will do my homework and I will make sure to check that out because I know of Larry Basilio, but I've never actually checked any of the material out. So, maybe that'll be my homework. You will
1: enjoy weekend. it thoroughly. You will, sh- you, shall, you shall.
0: I, I. I'm sure I will. I will send you a I'm sure I'll send you a text message at some point tomorrow or Saturday and so top recommendation. Lovely. Um and last but not least, where can people find more about you and your music?
1: Okay, so um as I said, I'm focusing more on my socials at the moment, so YouTube would be a good place to find uh video updates of what's going on. Um, I am uh, constantly on Instagram, so um, you can find me at uh, Luke G-R-E-C-K, G-R-E-C-K. Uh, and uh, as well as my website, www.LukeGreck.com, where I updated with my uh, studio specs as well for anyone interested in booking a session, and uh, as well as my gigs and my uh, just, you know, basic news and updates. So.
0: There we have it. Excellent, excellent. As always with the podcast, all of the links are going to be in the description boxes below, so you'll be able to check out Luke. You'll be able to check out his music, and I would highly recommend listening to Avocado Macchiato. It's, it's very good. It's Thank very you. you'll you'll be instantly be tap footing and mm-hmm. having wanting to uh, have a bit of a jam along to it, Lovely. Luke. I can't yeah. believe it's like, well, it's nearly, what, 10 o'clock for you now? Yes, it
1: is. Yes, it's 10 o'clock I'm sure here. It's,
0: probably getting, it's getting to your bedtime, isn't it? I imagine. <laughs> well, yeah. with the jet lag, maybe not.
1: Yeah, I wish it. Well, I'm going to try and get a good night's sleep as well. Um, but hopefully, if not, I'll probably get some work done at the studio. You know, try not to waste time. But um, I think I would need a good night's rest as well. So I'll probably see if I can um, get to bed without the need of any sleeping pills so yeah <laughs> we'll see how that goes <laughs> so,
0: i, I would... really appreciate you taking the time out on this wonderful thursday evening and, and I having would a chat i
1: really really like to thank you for having me because um when you mentioned that you had a podcast on and uh, in, in, at birmingham um i went and had a look and and listened to a couple of them and you know, you'd really find yourself being immersed and, and listening to what other people are saying, and you won't see the time fly by, just as ha- happened here. So, yes, I really appreciate the invite, and thank you so much for having me. It's been a
0: pleasure. I, I really appreciate those words. Thank you. It's really nice to, uh, to, to hear those good words. I do try to make them as engaging as possible. Um So, thank you. That you really have. does mean a lot. So... Make sure you go and check Luke out, go and drop him a like, go and drop a share, go and drop a subscribe because, you know, it doesn't hurt to, it doesn't hurt to be nice in this in this world that we live in right now. Again, I want to thank Luke for taking out the time on his on this uh, warm evening, I imagine in the middle of Malta in May, I imagine it's quite toasty, uh, mm-hmm. you can find me at the Corona Mortis on Instagram. Make sure you drop me a follow. You can also find us at the Guitar Geeks podcast on Instagram and all of your streaming platforms. Luke, it's been a pleasure. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. So mm-hmm. from Luke and from myself, Josh, it's a very goodbye and thank you till next time.